whose hands were pierced through for us. How we long for that day. And we pray now that as we come to your word, we would see Jesus' face with the eyes of faith in the written word that is full of the power of the Holy Spirit. These words that are true and faithful. Lord, we pray that as we open your book tonight, we would see your son. And even now, by faith, our eyes would be transfixed on Jesus' face. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Please take a seat. My name is Dan Hames. I'm uh, one of the ministers here, and um, I have the great privilege this evening of starting off a new preaching series in the book of Colossians. Um, I don't know if you're allowed to have favorite Bible books, but this probably would be up there for me, book of Colossians. And what we're going to do this evening, I'm going to give you a very brief overview of the book to kind of get us started, and then I'm going to particularly zoom in and look at the first 14 verses. So let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. And we'll read verses 1 to 14. And I'd love to encourage you, as I do occasionally, to remember, please bring a Bible to church when you come. Um, There's some in boxes all over the place, but I think we're not supposed to touch them because they're contaminated. So please bring one with you and uh, get used to turning to these passages as we read them and keep your eye on them as we preach on them. So Colossians chapter 1, 1 to 14. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does also among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and is made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, a brief 
intro and overview of this wonderful letter of Paul. Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, a town in what was then Asia Minor and is today Turkey. He's writing from prison, and a few times through the book there's references to him being in chains or his suffering, um, his imprisonment. And from prison, writing to this church, he's really got one one thing that he wants to talk to this church about, and it is the centrality of Jesus Christ to the Christian life and to the church, the centrality of Christ to everything. And throughout the letter, Paul seems to pinpoint a couple of areas where the Colossians seem to be a bit tempted, subtly, without meaning to. They're tempted just to shift Jesus away quite from the center and focus on other things. There's a couple of places through the book where that seems to be a concern in Paul's head, that Jesus is just being quietly displaced from the center. Chapter 2 especially, we'll come to it, there seem to be two distractions especially that the Colossians are dealing with. One sort of focus has seems to be the experience of supernatural things. Paul um, especially talks about people who go on about having visions and the worship of angels. So that seems to be one area of distraction, experience of supernatural things. Another area seems to be the allure of human philosophy and religion and rule-keeping to keep certain festivals and holy days and practices and so on. And it seems to be that these two areas that Paul has kind of got his, in his crosshairs. And it seems like there may be some false teachers in this church, the Colossian church. And they're saying, you know, sure, you've, you've got Jesus, which is I mean, just lovely, wonderful. Uh, but if you want to be, you know, a real Christian, you have to be a supernatural, vision-having, angel-seeing kind of Christian. You know what I'm talking about. Or, sure, you've got Jesus, that's lovely, um, but if you want to be a real Christian, you have got to be a spiritually disciplined, super devout, top 5%, you know, religiously iron for Jesus kind of Christian. And Paul is writing to the Colossians to say, don't listen to these teachers. Don't listen to them These teachings are a distraction from the main and central thing, which is simply just Jesus Christ himself. Do not get distracted. Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10, I reckon could be the kind of banner verses of the whole book. If If you've got a Bible, just flick over there and you'll see it. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. Paul says of Jesus, In him... The whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Fullness of God is in Jesus. And you have been filled in him who is the head and rule of all authority. The NIV says, you have been given fullness in Christ. So Jesus is the fullness of God in human form. And in him, you have been given fullness. You have fullness in him already. Don't get distracted from him. Don't get caught up in his other stuff because you have him and he is, he's everything. 
Jesus is everything. So a number of, of authors and commentators have looked at the book of Colossians and said, and this is a natty little thing, if it were you know, a, a, a maths sum or equation, you could say the message of Colossians this way, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Who's heard that one before? One or two. It, it is a good summary of the message of Colossians. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Don't accept additions. Actually, because it turns out, as Paul teaches on, additions to Jesus always end up being subtractions. Anytime you try and bolt on some other stuff to Jesus, whatever it is, it ends up taking away from him because it dilutes him. And you end up leaning and trusting on and obsessing over those things rather than on him himself. That's the danger that Paul is really concerned about for the Colossians. If you go for Jesus plus religion or Jesus plus your own inner experience, you'll find yourself leaning on and trusting your religious observance or the high tide of your feelings and not trusting in him. So Jesus plus nothing else, Jesus plus nothing is everything. None of this is to say, of course, that Paul and we don't believe in angels and visions, because the Bible is full of them. Christianity is a supernatural religion. By its very nature, it's a supernatural way of life. Neither are we down on spiritual disciplines and the law of God and living a holy life. Those are good and godly things that we are commanded to do. And we're not saying that when you become a Christian, you simply just say the sinner's prayer and you've sort of, you've done your kind of little sort of ditty and you're given your golden ticket to heaven and you then can just sort of ignore the Christian life and everything and just say, oh, I'm, I'm sorted and sort of slip it in your back pocket and get on with your life your own way. No, we don't believe that either. Simon Ponsonby, our pastor of theology, has a book called More. And it's, it's a book I recommend you read. It's a book that says that there is always more of God to be known and enjoyed and experienced. There's always more of God for us to get our teeth into and fill our life with him. The Holy Spirit is in us to take us deeper and deeper into the knowledge and love of God. So we're not saying we're against all of that. But what we do not believe in is a kind of tiered system of Christians where some of us can kind of climb up to the top. We've had the overwhelming spiritual experiences. We've cracked the secret of true godly living. We've sort of graduated to true supernatural ways. And the rest of you are kind of looking on thinking, gosh, I just wish I could be you know, quite up there. In other words, there are no levels or grades of the Christian life that some of us can climb up and others of us will fall down or never get up. You cannot be a second-class Christian. There is no such thing as first and second-class Christians. So long as you simply have Jesus, you have everything. Everything. With him and him plus nothing, you have everything. 
And all of the more that we are rightly after, all of the more that we are longing for in our Christian life, all the maturity, the depth, the refreshment that we're after, it is never ever found in moving on from Jesus to something else. It's never found in going away from him, but always in going deeper into him. Always staying with him, appreciating him more, knowing him more deeply, loving him more. In the Christian life, we never graduate from Jesus onto other things. We never graduate from him. We never stop needing him. We can never exhaust the treasures in him. The whole of the Christian life, everything that God has laid out for us as his children, is to grow deeper and deeper into Jesus Christ. John Howe, the 16th century preacher and chaplain to Oliver Cromwell, he said this, that if you delight yourself in Jesus, you will still find a continual spring, unexhausted fullness, a fountain never to be drawn dry. That is what Jesus is to us, inexhaustible fullness, a fountain never to be drawn dry. So this series for us is an opportunity to go back to basics. We've lived through a strange few months, and I suspect that many of us in this room over these strange few months have taken in a lot of content. I'm wondering if I might ask for a show of hands on these. Who's watched a lot of Netflix or similar streaming stuff? Podcasts, new podcasts, daily briefings on COVID, Endless news analysis of politics, banana bread recipes, <laughs> how to compost. I've been reading about that. And even, uh, even church life has been pretty frenetic and fast-paced. We've had thought for the day on social media. We've had YouTube streaming. We've had Zoom calls. We've had ACT going into turbo mode. We've had small groups online. We've had our APCM. We've had our PCC meeting. We've had the retirement of our rector. <laughs> and as we gather back in this building together, as we've just in these first few weeks of being back, we, we kind of want to just say <laughs> and breathe especially in this 6 p.m. service where, for us, we don't have the cameras on, we're not being broadcast. There's a moment for us all to breathe again and focus again on what we're about, to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's why I was so glad that we just sung that line, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face, to set our hearts on him again afresh. It's so, so simple, but it's what we want to do over these next weeks together. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in him. So that's my intro to Colossians. What about these first 14 verses? Colossians 1, 1 to 14. In this short little section, the first thing I'd just love to note about this is that Paul tells the Colossians how he's praying for them. He starts out by telling them how he prays for them. And Paul's letters can contain a number of his prayers for the churches. And it's, they are so well worth our study. If I, if I prayed like this for my friends and family, I think they'd be a lot better off than 
the way I pray for them now, which is a sort of vague, rambling, Lord, please look after them and protect them and bless them. And, uh, oh, I need to go shopping. That's, that's sort of how I pray for people. Paul's prayers are so rich and full. And this prayer is part thanksgiving and it's part petition, part asking. But it's also Paul setting up some of what we've just seen, the whole theme for the letter. In opening up his prayer life to them, in telling them what he's praying for them, he's kind of wanting to get them clear from the start of the letter what he's going to be really getting into when it comes to the meat of it. And he wants to talk to them about how he prays and in his prayer he's expounding what they have in Jesus, this fullness that is already theirs in Jesus. It's really going to be in chapter 2 when he kind of puts the, you know, puts the boot into the Jesus plus false teachers. But now in chapter 1, he just wants to assure and reassure this church that they don't lack anything, that they don't need to add anything to what they have already got in Jesus. So that's what he's doing here in this, this first few verses, that the gospel they heard and the Jesus they received at the beginning is enough. And this is, I think, a masterclass in pastoral care and reassurance, this little prayer that's opened up. He says, verse 4, since we heard of your faith and love, we've been thanking God for you. You've got faith, you've got love demonstrated to the saints. So we're, we're thankful. He's like, we, I'm, I'm an apostle, I'm very thankful for you. The Colossians would be thinking, oh, well, that's, that's quite good. <laughs> Paul's, Paul's thankful, that's good. Verse 5, you have hope laid up in heaven now. Hope laid up in heaven now already. Your eternal future is secure, it's, it's in the bag, it's sorted. And again, verse 5, the gospel you heard in the beginning, the gospel that secured that eternal hope, it is still bearing fruit in the whole world. So the gospel you heard, it's not like it's sort of gone out of date and it's past its best and it's not really working anymore and you need to go and find something else that's kind of the up-to-date version. No, the gospel you heard is still bearing fruit in the world as people come to salvation. Verse 6 when you heard the gospel, you understood the grace of God in truth. It's the real deal that you've got. When you heard the gospel in the beginning, you got the truth about God. Verses 7 and 8, we hear about Epaphras, the chap who shared the gospel with the Colossians first. And he says, Epaphras is a beloved fellow servant and a faithful minister. Don't go writing off his ministry to you back then. He's a, he's a good man, a beloved fellow servant, a faithful minister. And verse 8, the love that is evident in your life is an evidence of the Holy Spirit within you. You have God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, living in you. That's why you can love. It's a, a masterclass in encouraging these people. You really are on the right track. You don't have anything to be worried about in terms of lacking the good stuff. Building certainty and confidence, stability. Right from the start of the letter, he says, you were and you are the real deal. Don't let anyone undermine that. And I think that is hugely important for all of us to hear today. 
really important. However it was that you came to Jesus at first, however young you may have been, however confused about some things, however embarrassing it may be for you to look back at your early days as a Christian, it was real. It was real. Sure, your faith has matured, your understanding has grown, and some people in the room have decades of immaturity and mistakes to cringe over. But you had the same Jesus then as you do now. You had the same Jesus on day one that you do now. And faithful people like Epaphras planted the seed of the gospel in your life, and you had the Holy Spirit given to you. And you had hope laid up in heaven from that first moment. So never look back and regret. Don't look down on the old you. And also don't look down on others who are now like you were then. Others in the room are brand new Christians, and you have stepped into a strange new world of the church and the Bible and a whole set of strange language and a whole set of expectations that come with um, being a Christian. And, and it can feel like, probably to you, it's going to take me a long time just to get all of this really quite strange stuff. Uh, it's going to take me a little while before I feel like I really fit. May, I'm hoping that you feel loved and accepted and valued. But there's probably all sorts of ways you're thinking, there's a lot for me to learn. And I want to say, you don't, sort of, you don't really need to earn your cubs and brownie badges with Jesus. You have Jesus now. He is yours. The same Jesus who is with you now is the Jesus who is going to be with you all your life long until the very end. And you, you came for Jesus, and we want you to stay for Jesus. Sure, there's some people in the room who will have been around the block a bit, you know, a few more times than you, but they, they only have the same Jesus as you do. And you may marvel at their wisdom and whatever, but they only have the same Jesus that you do. And for those of us who look around the room, a room like this, and feel, oh, I don't quite measure up to all these people who you know, seem so full of passion and raise their hands in worship and just seem to be so close to God. I, I feel, you know, my Christian life is lacking. My faith is a bit sort of puny and rubbish and I'm, I'm weak. For those of you who look around a room like this and feel you don't, you don't really belong. The wonderful preacher Sinclair Ferguson says this, the weakest faith gets the same strong Christ as does the strongest faith. The weakest faith gets the same strong Christ as does the strongest faith. So I want to say, whatever your fears and insecurities about being a Christian among other Christians may be, here is comfort. Here is the pressure off. It is about him. It is about Jesus and not about you. There is no need here in this church to perform or attain or to project a certain kind of spiritual life. That is not what we're about. 
Because for us, Jesus plus nothing is everything. And if you have him, you are a brother, a sister. You belong. We belong to one another. That's the Thanksgiving part. Verses 9 to 14. Paul lays out a vision for the Christian life again in prayer form. Here's how he speaks about the Christian life. And so, verse 9, because of all of that, all we've just seen, we have not ceased to pray for you asking. Here comes the ask. What is Paul going to ask for this church? He asks a couple of things. Firstly, internally, for the inner life. He prays you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then in verse 10, he prays for an external outworking of that, something that works itself out in life. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And verse 11, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. It's a, it's a dense prayer, and I wish I could get into every bit of it, but we don't have time to do everything. But I want you to see this. This is a prayer for spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's a prayer for a fruitful life that is worthy of God. It's a prayer for an increased knowledge of God and for strength and power and joy. And I can just imagine the Colossians just beginning to sort of salivate when they read that prayer. This is what they've been thinking about all along. This is what has kind of been getting them excited recently. They've been thinking, you know, the gospel we heard at the beginning, is, it was great, of course. But we've had these teachers in the church, and they've been advertising, like, the really, the deep stuff. You know, like the, you know, the real deal stuff. <laughs> and here, verse 9, 10, 11, Paul is talking about true spiritual life. Real deep spiritual knowledge and spiritual power. And you could just see the Colossians going, now we are really interested. He's, getting, he's going somewhere now. Paul's hitting all the right notes. He knows what teaching they've been hearing, what influences they've been coming under, what's been making their mouths water. And he then does something a little bit surprising. Verse 12, he drops into the past tense. This is what I want us to go away with. He drops into the past tense tense. Having got their attention, there's an unexpected little twist here. He's not going to say, so we've been asking this for you and therefore we need you to do more, to be more, to feel more, to go harder, to go more intense, to be qualified. No, he says, you are qualified. Verse 12, you are qualified, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In other words, it's done already. Everything is sorted. God the Father himself has qualified you from the moment you put your trust in Jesus. You are qualified. 
You don't have to do any more work towards this. Paul is later going to say in the letter, let no one disqualify you. Let no one undermine your assurance by insisting on their standards of spiritual experience or Christian living. But no, Paul says, you have been qualified. It's happened already. And the last two verses of this passage, Paul tells us exactly how that has happened. How have we been qualified? How have we come into this fullness that means you and I are full already? We have everything already. How has that happened? Verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. For all the attractive-sounding hype of the teachers in the Colossian church, they could never match this for true, full spiritual life. In God the Son, in Jesus Christ, you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is, by Jesus' death on the cross, bearing your sin and your judgment, he redeemed you. He, he bought you back from slavery to sin and death. He rescued you. He pulled you out and redeemed you. He literally ransomed you, paid the price, rescued you. Your sins have been forgiven and washed away. And now, there is nothing left for you to fight your way out of, nothing left for you to improve or add to, nothing that you have to kind of shape into something that's a bit more presentable. Now, in Jesus, you have been completely saved, completely redeemed, delivered from the domain of darkness. You've been brought out of all that you were and into something brand new. And the word that Paul uses, he says, you have been transferred, transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. The old New King James Version says, into the kingdom of the son of his love, which I love, I love that, the kingdom of the son of his love. The word uh, for transferred, it literally is to remove from one place and to put in another and the best illustration I have for this is that I grew up with two dogs, uh, two Springer Spaniels. And I don't know if, you, if, if anyone knows those dogs. They're the sort of dogs who are very, uh, very good-natured and lovable, but they're also very excitable. And so with these two dogs, anytime someone um, knocked on the door, around the doorbell, the dogs would just go crazy and fly around the house. And whoever came to the door w would sort of get two dogs <laughs> flying at them and we would have to try and restrain them um, so that you know, they didn't lick the postman to death or whatever. And so what we'd have to do is we'd have to be very quick. As soon as the doorbell sounded and the dogs leapt up, we'd have to grab the dog and scoop up the dog, one each, <laughs> and like, literally manhandle the dog into the dining room, close the door. And that is, I think, the best picture I can think of for what's happened here. You've been transferred. You've been picked up, manhandled, and put into a different place. Out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of the son of his love. And this is past tense. 
This has happened for you. This is your past. This is who you are right now. This is your identity. And that is why you are qualified. God the Father, he is the one who has picked you up in his son. He has done it. That's why there is no second class Christians among us. That is why you have fullness already. That's why the, the same gospel you heard at first will keep you till the end. Because he has done it. I need to come to an end. It can be hugely exciting for us to hear a speaker on a main stage at a big event and say, you too could spread yourself out on a corpse and see it come back to life. It can be hugely exciting for us to read a book that promises that you too could wake up sleeping angels or to learn that you too could join the purest Christians you know get rid of your pagan Christmas tree and learn Hebrew and give up pork there is a thrill sometimes to these little fads and trends that come along and I think oh not every Christian gets this Not every Christian has this kind of power. Not all Christians know this secret. They know if I turn the Bible this way and translate it into, and turn it into numbers and put it backwards, and it's all these things that come along. And if you've been a Christian for ages and things feel a bit dry, it just feels like, you know, that's a bit of a, squeeze of lime in your lager <laughs> to have those things. The little trends that, oh, promise of something that's sparkly. If you're a Christian in maybe the first months and years of your Christian life, full of zeal and eager to impress, getting into these things could look like a way to really get in with the movers and shakers. And I want to say, and Paul says, the Word of God says, beware If you build your spiritual foundations and you look for excitement and you seek maturity in Jesus plus anything, anything, no matter how good it may be, you are already moving on from him. You are already in danger. Jesus plus sort of spirituality, it has so much allure But I promise you, it will leave you tired and jaded and bitter. Because in the end, all the burden is on you to do, to be, to feel, to achieve, to project, to experience, to qualify. But friends, what we've seen tonight, the wonderful good news, the gospel of Jesus is... That real spiritual life and joy and satisfaction is simply to rest. To rest in what he has already done. It really is all about Jesus. That's not just a catchy slogan. It is really all about Jesus. And if you think that you know that and you're bored of it, then I think you need to reacquaint yourself.
And that's part of what this series is about. Earlier on, we sung the line, my treasure, Lord, you are. And uh, that reminded me of some words of an old hymn. Let's finish with this as a prayer. Let me invite you to stand, and I'm going to pray these words. From Johann Frank. Jesus, priceless treasure, source of purest pleasure, friend most sure and true. Long my heart was burning, fainting much and yearning, thirsting, Lord, for you. Yours I am. O spotless lamb, so will I let nothing hide you, seek no joy beside you. Lord, that is our prayer, that we let nothing hide you, nothing come between us, seek no joy beside you, Jesus' priceless treasure.